You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the honor and pleasure of sitting down with Lauren Moat. Lauren is a consultant and expert in the global spirits industry. She is a founding partner of Bitter Sling Bitters and Nightcap Media. Lauren is also the co founder of Women Celebrate, a social media initiative to highlight women and femme folks in the drink industry and their achievements. She is an active member and educator within the global spirits industry. Lauren has been featured in beverage seminars across the globe. She's also part of Tales of the Cocktails Culture, Education, and Spirit Award committees. Lauren shared her journey in the beverage world her commitment to making a difference as a mentor, and so much more. So sit back, grab yourself a cocktail, and enjoy the show. Lauren, welcome to Served Up. I am truly excited to have you on today's show. I'm super excited to be here as well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners where you are tuning in from? Yes, I'm in the Netherlands in a beautiful small town called Amsterdam. I'm not sure if your listeners have heard of it before or not, uh, but uh, of course, that was a bad joke. It's, a, it's an amazing city in Europe, and I'm formerly from Canada. I moved here two years ago, uh, just before the pandemic from Vancouver, Canada on the West Coast. And of course, Bridget, you and I have known each other for years, and we had that spectacular work trip in Hawaii that we can only hope to redo again in the future, but yes. that's where I'm calling from today. We should do this live from Hawaii next time. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get Julie on phone. Let's do that. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's so interesting to me uh, that you started off in Canada and now you're literally on the other side of the, the planet here. Can you talk about really where your journey began in the beverage world and how the heck you wound up in Amsterdam? For sure. Well, I lived my life in many extremes, but none of these decisions that I've made are knee-jerk by any means. So, uh, you know, I, I calculate and research the decisions and potential opportunities of where I can go on my journey. And then it takes me years to make a decision, especially a big decision like relocating. And relocating to Amsterdam is not the first time that I've moved a, a great distance from my hometown in order to do something in the industry. So when I first started in the industry in 1996. So we're, we're talking 24 years ago, 26 years ago, 24, 26 years ago. And I was working in a fast food shop in Toronto, Ontario, in Canada, where I'm from, called Licks. And it was a gourmet hamburger shop that specialized in really beautiful, you know, you just tell people what you want on your burger and they'll make it for you. And I was one of the burger dressers. So I would have your burger ready and I'd say, what would you like? And, you know, they have all these sauces and toppings to choose from. But the kicker was that we all had to sing. So everybody that worked there had to sing songs 
about the food. We were given a song book of different songs that we had to learn and chant. So every time someone would order something, a keyword of a specific food or milkshake or something else would inspire what the song was. <laughs> so when I started in the industry, I started as a performer, even though I was dressing hamburgers. So I moved around, you know, I was doing the grill, I was doing prep, I did cash, I was doing beverage, making milkshakes, it was a soda fountain joint. So we had ice cream floats, like just different things. It was so much fun. And at the time, I was 14. <laughs> so this was my first ever job. And I jumped into it as, uh, you know, like I do with anything. It's, this is really fun. I'm going to see where I can go with this. So I fast forward, you know, four years to year 2000. In Ontario, I'm legally allowed to serve alcohol. Of course, can't drink alcohol until you're 19, but I could serve alcohol. So my evolution while I was uh, in high school was I always had a part-time job working in cafes or, or something else, but I was really excited to start mixing drinks. I was excited to start bartending. And I, I always had an affinity and a connection to working in restaurants because I was quite obsessed with food. I used to cook a lot when I was a kid. I've always been interested in ingredients, cultural origins, uh, you know, cooking out of great old cookbooks uh, with my family. And so I was very excited that I could start picking up the bottles of alcohol to sort of mix and match and do different things that could potentially, you know, pair with the experience in a restaurant, which seems really like really high thought process for 2000, because I think we all know where we were all at in the year 2000 bartending. It like didn't feel like that at all. So you know, that is my, as my first job was incredible. And I, I learned from, I wouldn't say I learned from great bartenders at that time. I learned from bartenders that just came in and got the job done and they knew far more than I did. But then I just kept moving around to, to different bars and restaurants. And, you know, I definitely had the gift of gab that, you know, bartenders are well known for. Um, I had that sort of stage presence and that sort of comedic style um, as just part of my DNA that I was that I was using. And then over the course of, let's say, the next 10 years, so the entire decade, I worked in a number of different places while I was in college. I opened a, a catering company and was doing you know local uh, food and beverage things for people in my neighborhood or did like some small events for maybe some other professionals I knew in their office making like mini pizzas and punches and cocktails and whatever. So it was it was really cool. And during that time, I studied uh, I studied wine as well. I worked with some really incredible sommeliers in Toronto at a restaurant called Le Select Bistro, and um, they had the the biggest wine cellar in Toronto. They had the thickest wine book in Toronto, and so I worked with incredible professionals working in wine, studied the book, and then slowly transitioned out of the bar at that point and transitioned into uh, into wine studies. Now, as, as the, the beverage industry started to really focus on spirits and cocktails, and this would have been around 2004, 2005, I sort of came back in, but now I had this expertise in the wine world as well. And so I, I ended up moving to Vancouver in, in 2007 and worked for you know some of, if not the top and most talked about restaurant in Canada at the time, which was uh, Lumiere, owned by a celebrity chef called Rob Feeney. And so I was running the beverage program there and created my first cocktail list in 2007. And it was inspired by the same way that we speak about food in a Roulet and Chateau, you know, really high-end restaurant. 
you talk about wine the same way. We talk about beer the same way. So we started talking about cocktails in the same way. And that uh, became, I guess, my springboard into uh, a lot of the, the businesses that I've run or a lot of the bars that I've worked in or run have always been rooted in the combination of how all of those services and ingredients can come together to create the ultimate, ultimate experience. You know, I've run multiple bars and, and restaurants in that time from 2007. Uh, you know, I fast forward to 2009 to 2013. I opened uh, and executed some really cool programs at some other notable bars in, in Vancouver. And then a friend of mine approached me in, in 2015. And this was, you know, while I was consulting for a couple of Four Seasons properties as well. Of course, we opened Bitter's Sling, our, our bitters line in 2012. We had a lot going on. And I say we, my, my husband, Jonathan, who's also a really great chef and my partner in Bitter's Sling and in life. And uh, a friend of mine said, I think you should probably consider doing, you know, a competition like world class because it might actually propel what you do into a wider global audience. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I never really thought about it from that perspective, like doing competitions and, and things I'd done in the past just for fun. Um, I had great success with, um, you know, a Grey Goose competition in 2010 with, you know, Canada and the US and, you know, Maker's Mark and a lot of other, um, a lot of other uh, brands and programs. It just wasn't really for me anymore. And then, so I ended up doing world-class, ended up winning and going to the global finals. And, um, you know, that was sort of a, a springboard into a new sort of international arena of meeting more people that thought about food, beverage, service, and experience in the same way that I had. So I didn't, I felt still like I was a unique and special character, but now I felt like it was all coming to life with like a new group of people that think about things in the same way that I do. And I thought that was really cool. So in 2017, I uh, took Diageo on as a client and uh, World Class as a client. And I was doing global work for them, developing the World Class Global Program, as well as uh, developing surf strategy and experiences for bartenders and consumers across the reserve portfolio. So it was a huge job that was ever evolving. At, you know, we went right through the pandemic for two years with digital programming. And then at the end of uh, 2019, I decided, uh, Jonathan and I decided that being in Vancouver is the farthest place on the planet, unless you're going to Hawaii. See, it's the second time I mentioned Hawaii. Unless you're going to Hawaii or you're spending time on the West Coast, it's hard to get anywhere from Vancouver. It's, it's, you know, it's four hours in any direction to, to get anywhere. And so we decided our time in, in Vancouver was coming to an end. Jonathan had been there 25 years. I'd been there for 12 years. And the place that I had spent the most time was actually Amsterdam. I was uh, spending weekends here and in between, you know, uh, trips while I was uh, traveling to <laughs> 60 countries, <laughs> you know, I, I was on the road 300 days a year, you know, from 2017 until 2019. Um, and uh, Amsterdam was my in-between because Vancouver was really too far away uh, to spend in-between trips. And so I ended up building a little life here and then started bringing Jonathan into the life here. And it's like, this is really cool. It actually reminds me of Vancouver in a lot of ways, but it's Europe. There's still the cycling and fitness culture. And, and so we decided to make a move at the end of uh, 2019. And then, of course, Three months later, nobody would have ever imagined that we'd be going into a two-year and beyond pandemic. 
Um, so we we managed through that. We thought uh, we're going to get kicked out of the country. That you know whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Uh, we were scared that our business Bittered Sling was going to suffer, and it did a little bit. But you know we were lucky that we were able to manage through. And then uh, you know just this past December, Diageo is is no longer a client of mine. I've I've decided to move on to do different things, and and we're still in Amsterdam because it's where uh, one of our companies is based, and that is the very it was a short, it was like a really short version of the story, but I think I covered it all in nine minutes. Maybe. My goodness. Thank you for covering <laughs> it all because it's so much to unpack now. Oh my goodness. I mean, you're so well-rounded as a beverage professional. A lot of us just stick to what we know, which would be like spirits and cocktails, right? But you bring that wine background, you bring that knowledge of bitters at such a deep level because you own the company and you have traveled the world. So you have experienced you know, other cultures besides your own, which for me, I do feel like that's the best classroom is to travel and to you know learn from others for sure. And so how has it been you know, we look back at 2020 and here in America, you know, we went through, of course, still going through the pandemic, but also the social unrest through the social unrest through the pandemic also brought up, you know, a lot of issues in our industry. It shed light on a lot of things that needed to change, whether it be how women are treated um, within our industry, for sure a lot of toxicity really came to the surface. And I do see a lot of changes happening, which is very exciting. But from your view, you know, being on the other side of the world and looking in, especially on the beverage industry as a whole, because you have such a unique situation, Lauren, where you really truly have experience of beverage industry, not just in your country, but around the world. Um, What insights can you share and what change have you seen? And what are some positive takeaways, you know, from this trauma that we've been living in over the past couple of years? Yeah, it's, it's interesting how you, how you frame the, you know, the question, the conversation and, and granted it is from the perspective that from where, from where you're sitting in the U S as well. And a lot of the issues that have uh, been uncovered or people are really focused on at the moment are not, you know, just issues that are based in one country or two countries. They are, they are global. They're just at different stages of, of exhibition, I should say, you know, they're at different stages of where people fall in the the hierarchy, where people fall in the industry. And what I always felt was interesting about having the opportunity to travel the world in, in such an intense way, having not just visited one country once, but visited the same country multiple times, is that you really do get to know the local industry. You get to know local bartenders. You get to know the the subtleties of what makes their industry different from another country's industry. And even cities, I mean, we can go to even places in the United Kingdom, Canada, US, Australia, and even just the tiny pockets of different cities act differently. Um, I think, you know, having access to educational materials and having access to mentorship has been a really important way that bartenders have moved themselves out of, you know, this is just a job that I'm doing until I do something else, but has really helped them feel that it could be a positive and exciting career that can branch off in a lot of different ways, whether it's 
you know, bar management, bar ownership, or perhaps they want to be life or bartenders, but have a better quality of life and, you know, have, you know, more exciting reasons to come to work every day rather than, you know, just the, the, the service of drinks and people, but something beyond that, that could be more fulfilling. I think that each place that I have visited has had their own set of challenges as well in the same way as we're, we're seeing in um, Canada, U.S., you know, UK, wherever we're talking about, like, quite obviously, the, you know, developing nations are, are doing things in a different way than maybe the emerging countries. But it's, I, I honestly think at the end of the day, even just the simple act of respect for the role, respect for people, respect for your colleagues, you know, opening up a diversity of opinions, safe spaces where you can share opinions, where people even think to ask you the question in the first place, to have your opinion. Um, this is something that is incredibly important, and it could be something as simple as feedback on drinks making, feedback on lists, feedback on how you know you do team training, how we do team outings, how we keep the connectivity of a team together, taking a personal interest in people's lives. And so my job has never been to just experience things and come home. It's been to experience things, to sit to listen, to observe, to engage, and to really like be immersed in, in what's happening in, in each of these moments, whether it's sitting in the bar, you know, listening to uh, other bartenders share their stories about what they're passionate about, or it could be, you know, at a, a, a competition where they're sharing presentations they've really worked hard on, or if it's even at, you know, a casual dinner or it's sitting on the opposite side of the bar during service. I've always made sure to listen and absorb whatever is is being presented in that moment and because of the type of job that I was doing I had to develop educational tools in order to support where that that city or that industry was at um, now we did that through you know different programs with world class and Diageo bar academy but I was also taking a personal interest in really wanting to help these bartenders and people achieve something far beyond what they thought would be possible. And, and more often than not, I did experience that in, you know, emerging countries and emerging, you know, regions of the world, like, you know, in Eastern Europe, in Latin America, in Africa, in Southeast Asia. But it's not to say that those opportunities and those, you know, challenges don't exist in, you know, some of the developed nations as well. So I think taking all that information, coming back to the drawing board, and also, you know, sharing what, what I've learned and experienced and creating education that could be accessible uh, to everybody, regardless of, you know, experience level and regardless of what their goals were in their professional lives, we could support that because we listen. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to this. So I, I guess the just to, to summarize all of this up, the learnings, the positive learnings from all of this is the diversity of thought, opinion, sharing, engagement, just even being quiet and listening for long enough to, to give people the space and the safety to share how they really feel about things, what their passions, hopes, and dreams are, is more important than my voice. I don't need to sit there and really say anything unless there is a question to be asked or unless there's a presentation to give, but to listen, to relay the information and to come back with exciting programs that people can really use to advance their careers and, and enrich their lives is, 
really been the important takeaway from the last several years. Yeah. And that, that's really what makes you a true mentor, you know, is that caring about the human experience and about the other human to really, to create something that's going to further, not yourself, but someone else along. And there's such beauty in that. And that's something that is learned. It's something that takes time. And usually um, from doing the mistakes yourself or doing the work yourself, you know, doing all those travels, all those hours, right? Putting it in, in order to really, to create something beautiful to pass on to someone else, which I think is absolutely wonderful. With that said, I do want to stick on the topic of you traveling because so many of us are stuck in our houses still. Would love to know about some of the more unique drinking cultures that maybe you've experienced in your travels. I can't believe how obsessed Russia is with tequila. So if you if you had it in your head, you're like, I'm going to go to Russia and have this you know traditional cultural experience of the birthplace of vodka with pickled fish and different things. And you like everything served with black cherries. And, you know, it's just, it's, we have such a, it's not a stereotype. It is an association. When we play like a word association game and say, tell me the flavors or tell me, you know, what comes to mind, cuisine, beverage, whatever. When you think about Russia, go, it's, it's exactly those things. Um, but I have been to some of the coolest bars in St. Petersburg and Moscow that tend to be 100% focused on agave spirits. They might have, okay, let's say 98% because they've got other things. And of course, they've got people coming in that want the traditional experience of, you know, I came all this way. I'm not going to, I don't want tequila. I want, you know, vodka or something else. But it's, um, it's amazing to see how some of the cultures of the world have actually taken the, the culture that, that they have, that they're so proud of, the very traditionalist opportunity for their uh, their drinks, their ingredients, their cultures. But then there are so many unique individuals that come and join their, their organization that are also from different parts of Russia or different parts of the world. And so it's bringing like little elements and surprises into, into this atmosphere that you can taste and you can see, you can touch, you can be part of that gives you a very unique experience at every bar that you go to. And Russia is just one of several examples um, I've had some, you know, really in incredible experiences also in the Baltics. You know, I, I have like a, a big love for Eastern Europe. So Russia, Ukraine, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, like all, that whole region is just so interesting. Um, maybe because of the climate, maybe because because of their history, um, how the people are sort of evolving with their history. And that makes it into the way they write drinks and storytelling and programming and um, and so I think it's it's incredible, but because also the accessibility with Zoom and social media and WhatsApp phone calls around the world, it means that we can all connect. And so all of a sudden, these great experiences you're having in the far-flung places of the world are becoming more accessible every single day. And we can learn more from each other around the world, regardless of whether or not we can get on a plane. And I think I think that's that's really cool. And there are so many, I mean, I know this is an hour podcast, but I mean, like we could literally talk for hours and hours and hours about the different places around the world where there have been these great aha moments that at the end of it, I was like, but it makes perfect sense. Like Thailand, Thailand, just the balance of flavor in the drinks, it mimics the balance of incredible flavor in the food. And so even bartenders that maybe don't cook often, 
in Thailand, for example, in some of the places that I visited, their drinks were so unique and so balanced with the perfect heat, acidity, salinity, sweetness, bitterness, because they are so used to eating the food in Thailand, which is a, such a unique balance of all those things. So we can never say that any two bartenders are the same. And we can never say that any two regions or two bars are the same because they are just influenced by incredibly different things. I love that you just use a description, like pulling out all those flavors of your local cuisine and putting it into a glass, which I think that a lot of us do without even thinking of it. Cause it's what we know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Very, yeah. that's really cool. Um, can you share what's unique about Amsterdam's food and beverage scene? So the Netherlands has, uh, you know, has a, a really interesting food scene in the sense that they are the second largest agricultural exporter behind the U.S. So, I mean, whatever, this country is tiny, 17 million people. They've reclaimed a ton of wetland and ocean, like an ocean area to build more land. <laughs> They've got, um, you know, there's millions of glass houses here just growing produce all year round. There's tons of innovation when it comes to building food systems and how they build food systems for other different places around the world. A lot of the innovation is, is happening here. And we're so lucky that we can walk into so many of these grocery stores and have incredible and perfect produce that is from here 24 seven, 365 days of the year, which is incredible. Um, some of the best dairy, some of the best access to other ingredients uh, coming in from other parts of Europe. As a, as a Canadian that felt like the perfect burrata was so far away in Vancouver because I had to come all the way from Italy or somewhere else. Uh, being, you know, in Amsterdam, we have access to, you know, Italian-only gourmet ingredients shops, and there are hundreds of them. There are many small businesses, family-owned businesses here. You don't see a lot of big box stores. There's not a lot of high-rises. Um, so it just feels like, a, you know, for, for a lot of people when they come and visit here and they leave the center of Amsterdam, which is, of course, the most popular area, it is a village. I mean, it, it, we ride bikes. We don't own a car. Uh, you know, it takes us 10 minutes to really get anywhere in the city. Um, 20 minutes is considered a really long way. But I, I suppose, you know, the food and beverage scene here, because of the access so close to all of the other countries and the different cities around Europe, and especially, you know, up until Brexit, having that, you know, really close within arm's reach UK as part of the EU, being close to London and Manchester, Edinburgh, like all of these like really big cities has sort of affected, you know, the Amsterdam bar scene in a, in an interesting way that they've become a little bit everything for everyone. So you've got great wine bars here. You've got great cocktail bars here. But I, I suppose, you know, people that are born and raised here, they're not so they're not so fussed about it. You can start to see that there's the evolution of them um, wanting to drink cocktails in a different way. They want to they all of a sudden are curious to learn about the Negroni and the daiquiri, whereas before they would have gone into bars and ordered things that were interpretations of maybe what would have been a daiquiri, but they would have had no idea. So I think uh, the city is so rich with history. And, you know, and access to ingredients. And of course, it's incredibly diverse with people living here and passing through from all over the world, especially Europe, that um, it does have a, a unique edge. It's a it's a bit of a it feels like a bit of a, a fringe food and beverage city. And I mean that in the most positive way. So 
there are tons of different restaurants here, lots of different bars and, you know, post pandemic, I know we're still in it, but we're going to start to see more and more interesting places opening. But the unfortunate part is as I'm speaking to you, bars and restaurants in the Netherlands are still closed and they've been closed uh, since the first week of December. So the, the industry here, we've been locked down, I think five times with, uh, with hospitality being closed down. So it's very, very difficult. So we might, and unfortunately, we might start to see some of the local brown bars here that are like the real Amsterdam experience, like corner bars with the fireplace serving giant apple pies and beer and, and Yenever. You know, we might start to see some of them close down, which is really a shame. Uh, but it really, I, I hope it paves the way for some new and exciting places uh, to open up. Of course, we we all know Tess Potsumis and Timo. Timo, they, you know, they own Flying Dutchman Cocktails. They own Dutch Courage, uh, Amsterdam Cocktail Week, Perfect Serve Bar Show. So, I mean, the, the two of them are two of several pioneers that are helping to put the, you know, Dutch scene on the world stage. And, um, you know, it's not limited just to them. You know, we've got Duke of Tokyo, which is an amazing karaoke bar here owned by Ben Warren. Um, we've got Fajoa, Vesper, uh, you know, the Duchess, uh, Freddy's Bar. There, there's just so many great places here to discover. And I just hope when people start to come back and visit Amsterdam, that they do venture outside the center because there are lots of beautiful cultural experiences to be had. And I think if you stick just to the center, it might be associated with the frat party, which <laughs> I think has been that way for a long time. So, I mean, we, we used to come here and, you know, the beginning of the two thousands, you know, my, my brothers and I, we lived uh, when they were living in the UK, we'd come here for that special three day weekend, you oh, know, yeah. the, the party, whatever, because that's what people associated with Amsterdam, but there's so much more uh, to see than that. Well, when the world allows, I'll definitely be making um, a visit. I want to experience everything. Yes, please. Said. So, yeah, so we'll get you a bike and we'll go all over the we'll place and go. You know, we'll love it. Go up to the go up to the beach and, you know, walk along the beach with millions of razor clams just sitting there. There's beach resorts on the North Sea, like it's just craziness here. It's the Netherlands is the, the coolest coolest place and, you know, I didn't know half of the things I know now before moving here and I'm we're discovering more and more every day and we haven't really gone out to explore yet being, you know, sort of trapped uh, in, in our bubble at the moment with the pandemic, but it's, uh, it's very, very exciting. It is. And hopefully soon, hopefully soon. Yeah. Start so venturing out. <laughs> My goodness. But, you know, I know um, beyond all your travel, right. All your world travel and all your great insights and all your great learnings, you know, something I know that you did when you were in Canada is that you have a huge heart, Lauren, you really do. And I know that you genuinely care about the people that work in our industry and you've done some damn good work around speed rack. Can you talk about the work that you've done? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, speed rack, I I've known Lynette and Ivy for years. Uh, Lynette is, is a really close friend. I, along with, uh, with another good friend, Danielle Tataran, who now lives in Mexico, we, uh, brought speed rack to Canada, uh, for Ivy and Lynette and executed the first one in 2015. Uh, we just did the first one and it, it helped to, you know, set the stage of, of hopefully whomever, whomever would come after us. And uh, two bartenders in Canada called uh, Christina Vieira and Evelyn Chick, both based in Toronto, great bartenders. Uh, they took the program over for Danielle and I, as we were focused on lots of different things. We both own businesses, so it was very hard to, to do everything. But um, we loved doing the first year. 
And actually, since then, uh, I know, uh, you know, uh, Lisa Pugliese from uh, Chicago, she, you know, she was helping to execute in that city. So we've known each other since those early days. Lisa Mulligan in Mexico, we're, we're friends and we were liaising when she was bringing it to Mexico. Um, Holly Graham in Hong Kong, same thing there. And uh, one of my speed rack advisory squad was the mentor mentee relationship, um, you know, pairing program that happened uh, last year around April. And my mentee, uh, Aliona, is the bar manager for a bar in St. Petersburg called Tagliatelle Cafe, which is owned by the El Copitas uh, family. And uh, family, well, it's another bar, but they're like a family with uh, with all their all their bars. And uh, she's now brought. Speed rack to St. Petersburg. So I feel like it's just this amazing, uh, you know, trade off of, of, I guess, information sharing. And, you know, where everybody that, that is working with Lynette and Ivy on speed rack at some stage uh, will end up helping or lending a hand, uh, sharing information to perhaps some other, you know, women and folks around the world that are interested in bringing speed rack in. So I, I just think it's a great program that helps to really create community. And, you know, we talk so much about, not being able to get on planes and physically visit some of these places and people. But I, I think this is, you know, one small chunk of, of community that uh, can really help even in just a digital sense, even just, you know, staying connected, you know, to the various speed rack brands and pop-ups around the world. It's um, it's a very cool family, you know, to be part of and uh, always every day, very proud to have been a part of it. I agree. I'm lucky enough to have been part of the program myself for many years. And I just think that they do wonderful work. And it's really exciting to have somebody unserved up that's actually produced a speed rack in their home country. It's, it's really cool. hard. I can't imagine. It has to be so yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, there's just so many moving parts. And I don't know if Canada was the first international one they did outside of the US, but I think it was one of the first, if it wasn't the first. And it was, you know, there was a, there was a plan and a package of this is how we do it in the US. Um, and then executing it in Canada, you know, we have our own relationships with, with liquor brands. We have our own relationships with bartenders and bars across Canada. And, and you don't want anyone to feel left out, you know, in terms of the bartenders you reach to. So we, Danny, Danny and I, we really worked hard to cast a very wide net across Canada and partnered with another big uh, food and beverage hospitality conference at the time called Eat Vancouver to help generate more buzz and more excitement, um, you know, accessibility for more people. It was amazing. I mean, I love building big events. And, you know, Jonathan and I, we had an events company as well called Kale and Nori. So we were used to building big events. And so it made uh, you know, an obvious fit for the, for the first year for speed rack. And so it was just, uh, just amazing. And now seeing what's, what's happened since that, uh, you know, under the guidance with Evelyn and Christina, it's evolved, you know, even further and based on different changes that made sense in the moment each year that goes by, it's just sort of tightening up certain mm -hmm. things and, you know, introducing new ideas or ways of working. And I, I think it's very cool. So I hope um, I hope they continue to do it in Canada. I'm not sure the status of it at the moment. Yeah, I think it's a, a really, really wonderful event, a wonderful organization, and they truly do give back, which to me is really impressive. You know, they they put their money where their mouth is more than most, yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. 
But I think um, doing I think doing charity work is important though. You know, and I think for for a lot of people they they do a little bit of charity work on the side, but I think when you can see the possibilities when you really pour your heart into, you know, a philanthropy cause that is really inspiring to you, you can do you can do so much and I think, you know, Speed Rack is one example and uh there there are many, you know, programs that I've supported and been part of over the years like the Worth Association in Vancouver, they had a, an event called Yes Chef, spelled S-H-E-F, which is very cute. <laughs> yes Chef, uh, which is all centered cute. around food and beverage uh, personalities. And um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Women's Day every year is a big deal. Women's Month, and then making sure that we're doing things on a, you know, daily basis, daily affirmations, mm-hmm. you know, related to uh, equality and, and sharing the mic and not just with women, but, you know, femme folks or, you know, a, a wide range of, uh, you know, people that we can include to just be more, you know, inclusive in our approach, how we, how we discuss, how we, you know, create opportunities, how we tell stories, you know, it's just, there's just so much opportunity. Oh, I agree. I agree. And we do, you know, we still have some work to do for sure, mm-hmm. you know, around equality, no doubt. Um, what will we see from you next, Lauren? Oh, well, <laughs> so my, Talk to me, what, what, yeah. what's up, what's up with you? What yeah. is to come? So what's my, come? Uh, yeah. So our company, Bittered Sling is celebrating 10 years this year in 2022. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years and that sounds like an official company, but we were making bitters and doing other things for, you know, two to three years before that. And I was running uh, beverage programs that created, you know, the, the bitters programming even before. And so it's, uh, it's hard to believe there's been, you know, over a decade in a lot of ways that be working on, you know, one thing. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Truly. Especially in this day and age, it's, um, that's, that's incredible. Really. Yeah. Is. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're really, really proud. And, you know, we are privately owned. It's just Jonathan and I, and my mom owns 1%, you know, because <laughs> She bailed us out like nine years ago <laughs> when we were, you know, when you first open a business and you have no investors, I mean, it could even be 10 years later, but there's always like one moment where you're like really screwed financially. And it's like probably a, a very small amount to some businesses. But for us, it was like the difference between winning and losing. It's like, you know, so I, I think uh, the last 10 years, we've had uh, a lot of really amazing successes with how we've grown the brand organically. We've always stayed true to our values as a, a Canadian company that you know focuses on uh, the best ingredients, working with the best suppliers, making bitters in you know the most traditional way, without sugar, no essences, no artificial coloring or flavors, all just whole botanicals. We use great alcohol. And we just, what we wanted to make sure is that bittered sling would always be this indispensable tool that a bartender, whether at home or in the bar, would pick up and it would inspire creativity, even in very simple creations, because the blends are so complex. That was always hope one. And we've we've definitely achieved that. And hope number two is that it inspired new drinks and new conversations around what could be possible in the drinks industry. And we know that, uh, you know, Bittered Sling has always been a jumping off point for us to involve more people as uh, bitter babes or people that are just generally quite happy to use bitters in their drink to learn more about some of these classic modifiers from the past, but potentially in a, you know, a different way than the traditional way of learning. We, we're just really, really proud that we have been able to build something and always you know, create sort of a new conversation around it 
year after year and involve more and more people. And so, you know, in terms of your question of what's happening going forward, for us, we are still, you know, we're always uh, 100% fifth gear on the throttle with, uh, with Bittered Slang. And we have big plans, you know, coming later this year with Bittered Slang about what the, you know, next five years will look like for us. And where we're just thrilled and so excited and have, we can't do anything except thank, you know, our distributors and importers and bartenders, consumers, like all of our supporters that have helped us get through the last two years. And so we really want to make sure that we don't waste this, you know, this really great opportunity and almost second chance. A lot of people might feel the same way with their, with their businesses, making it through the last two years was, was very, very hard. And so we are really committed to, to doing you know, some great things coming up, um, which I can't share just yet, but they will be coming up. So our birthday isn't one day, it's an entire year. So definitely we will share, but we would uh, appreciate and love if, if your listeners, um, you know, followed us on Instagram and stayed in touch so we could, uh, so we could be connected at bitter underscore sling. And then in terms of me, I mean, I've been a consultant for 10 years as well. And I've had, uh, Loads of different clients, uh, big clients like the Four Seasons and Diageo. And then I've had some smaller uh, clients in different parts of the world, different bars and restaurant groups or like individuals that I've worked with. And I think just going forward, I'm really, I'm really excited about some, some big plans with some new clients that, uh, that I have coming up that I can't reveal just yet. But as of right now, I am on sabbatical for the first time in like literally 10 years where I've got wow. two months that I'm just uh, focusing on uh, bittered sling and also focusing on, you know, bringing back some of the hobbies and the creativity that I feel was, so the creativity was always there, but my hobbies were always sort of absent in the last 10 or 15 years because work was just so intense. I lived, breathed, slept work. So I've been I've been picking up my paintbrushes again. I've been painting. I've been uh, I've been writing. I have a book coming out in September that I've been working on for almost four years. You know, we have our dog, of course, and she's a, a wonderful little hobby horse, moon <laughs> dog. Um, and yeah, I just uh, I'm hopeful that 2022 will be will be a really great year. It already feels like the energy is different. I think it will take uh, a lot of work for all of us to reach, you know, our personal and professional goals that we that we want to see because we did have a, a very challenging 24 months. But I think using that energy and trying to transform it in some way, staying connected to great people, reaching out to people, you know, for coffee, having phone conversations again, just I, I think just taking almost like a personal inventory of what matters to you is sort of the the focus that I'm taking moving forward instead of getting so mired in all the work all the time. I will let the the energy work for me and sort of make the work so much better and make me feel so much better in it. Oh, I love that. And on that note, I want to thank you for being on Served Up, Lauren. We have to have you back. I have to have you back. I want to hear <laughs> when your book comes out. This is exciting news about your new project. And I'm so happy that you're able to take two months to sounds like to just uh, take back your energy and focus in on, you know, some things that maybe fill your heart as well. So that that's just fantastic. Truly. One more time for our listeners, where can they find you and Bitter Sling? Bittered Sling is available in 10 countries and you can find out more on the Bittered Sling website, bitteredsling.com or on Instagram at bittered underscore sling. 
reach out to me on LinkedIn or on Instagram or on Facebook at uh, Lauren Moat. And also we have uh, another company called Nightcap Media, which is where Jonathan's also shifted his career and he's now moved into more photography and digital storytelling instead of just being a professional chef, which is um, an amazing thing. So you can find us at Nightcap Media. Uh, and also Women Celebrate. Women Celebrate is the uh, social enterprise that I co-founded a few years ago to share the, the stories and achievements of uh, women and femme folks throughout the industry just as a, as a side project. And that's also on Instagram. Well, thank you so much. I, on behalf of the Served Up family, I want to wish you just a lot of great health and a whole lot of peace. Thank you so much for being on our show. Cheers. Thank to you, Bridget. Lauren. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers.